Everyone loves to listen to a good book, and there are so many wonderful ones to choose, so we decided to bring you this podcast of Stories Come to Life. Each episode features a story from either classic or modern literature, especially chosen to be interesting and exciting to hear. So sit back, relax, and listen to this story come to life. Welcome to Stories Come to Life. I am your host, Catherine Lopez Luker. It is with great pleasure that I am able to announce that Simon & Schuster Publishing Company has given permission for this book to be read out loud and shared on Stories Come to Life until June 30th, 2024. But of course, the episodes that fall under that special permission will all be taken down on that date, so listen now while they're available. Nancy Drew is determined to discover the second will Josiah Crowley made, if it still exists. But that Topham family is unscrupulous and conniving. Nancy is sure they will have destroyed the second will if they have found it. And then, the deserving sisters, Allie and Grace Horner, won't receive their lawful inheritance. But clever Nancy has some ideas of how to proceed. Now sit back, relax, and listen to this story come to life. Nancy Drew, The Secret of the Old Clock Chapter 4, An Interesting Story The storm is getting worse every minute, Nancy Drew's companion observed. Nancy followed her to the barn door and looked out. The rain was now coming down in torrents and as the girls stood in the doorway, a sudden gust of cold wind blew a sheet of water into their faces. Oh, let's get back where it's dry, Nancy laughed. This is terrible. It's getting cold, too, her companion announced with chattering teeth. Why not come into the house with me? It's far more comfortable there. And unless I'm mistaken, this storm will continue for an hour or so. Oh, I don't like to trouble you. Oh, it's no trouble at all. Grace will never forgive me if I don't bring you inside. She turned to Nancy with an apologetic smile. I guess I forgot to introduce myself. My name is Allie, Allie Horner, and I am Nancy Drew. Not the daughter of Carson Drew, the noted lawyer. Yes, Nancy admitted in surprise. Do you know my father? Oh, no, but I guess everyone has heard of him. Allie Horner began to take off the raincoat which she wore. Here, take this, and I'll find you a pair of rubber boots. I don't want to take your raincoat, Nancy protested. What will you wear? Oh, I have an old coat hanging here on a nail. I'll use that. Anyway, the rain won't hurt my dress. Under protest, Nancy donned the raincoat put on a pair of rubber boots, which were several sizes too large for her. She made such a grotesque picture that the two girls could not help but laugh. Then they closed the barn doors. Now, Allie directed, let's make a dash for it. Hand in hand, they splashed through the mud toward the farmhouse. As they ran, a vivid flash of lightning momentarily illuminated the sky and caused the girls to cringe. 
The rain pelted down steadily, and the atmosphere was much colder than it had been ten minutes before. If it gets any colder, we'll have hail, Allie chattered, as the two girls reached the shelter of the porch. Dropping their muddy boots outside, Allie flung open the door, and they entered a warm kitchen. As the door closed behind them, an older girl who was bending over the kitchen range turned toward them in surprise. Grace, I've brought you a visitor, Allie said quickly. Miss Drew, I want you to meet my sister. She's the mainstay of our little family. Grace Horner cordially acknowledged the introduction and greeted Nancy with a warm smile. She was tall and slender, as was her sister, with dark hair and thoughtful brown eyes. Nancy judged that she was at least four years older than Allie. Her face was rather serious, and it was evident that responsibility had fallen upon her shoulders at an early age. Nancy was at once attracted to both Grace and Allie, and responded to their cordial welcome. It's nice of you to take me in this way, she told them. Mercy, it's a pleasure for us, Grace assured her. We don't see a girl of our own age once a month unless we go to Masonville, and our visits there aren't very frequent, Miss Drew. Oh, please call me by my first name, Nancy begged. Everyone does. The three girls were soon laughing and talking together, as though they had always been friends. Nancy knew she was going to like the Horner girls, and it was evident they were delighted with her. Presently, Grace deftly removed a cake from the oven and set it on the table to cool. Let's go into the living room, she suggested. My cake is done, so I don't need to watch it. I'll give you a piece before you go, Nancy. And Grace's cakes are the real thing, Allie declared. I'm not much of a cook myself. I'd rather be outdoors. We don't wish you any bad luck, Nancy, Grace laughed as she led Nancy into the next room. But Allie and I don't care how long it storms. Neither do I, so long as I get home before dark, Nancy replied. Although the living room was warm and comfortable, it was nearly bare of furniture. The floors had been painted and were scantily covered with handmade rag rugs. With the exception of an old-fashioned divan, an inexpensive table, and a few straight-backed chairs, and an old wood stove which furnished heat, there was little in the room. However, dainty white curtains covered the windows, and Nancy realized that although the Horner girls were poor, they had tried hard to make their home attractive. "'Surely you two girls don't live here alone, do you?' Nancy inquired. Allie nodded. "'Grace and I have been living here ever since Father died. That was two years ago. Mother passed away just before that,' the girl added with a slight catch in her voice. "'But how do you manage? It must be dreadfully hard for two girls to run a farm by themselves,' said Nancy in wonder. "'Our farm isn't very large now,' Grace said quietly. "'We have only a few acres.' I know you wonder how we live, but are too polite to ask, Ellie broke in. Grace helps a dressmaker at Masonville whenever she can get work. She makes all our clothes, too. And I raise chickens. Chickens? Nancy asked in surprise. Can you make much at that? Well, it all depends. This year the market hasn't been so high as usual, and the price of eggs has dropped, too. 
but I enjoy the work, and I could make it pay if only I could afford to start a flock of white leghorns. Allie is a regular outdoor girl, Grace explained with a smile. We divide our work. I attend to the house, but she would rather be outside. We get along very nicely in the summer, Allie went on. We raise vegetables and have enough for our own use. But in the winter, it's hard. I don't know how we'll manage this year. We'll find a way, Allie, Grace told her with a brave smile. We always have. She arose from her chair and turned to Nancy. I'm sure you're not interested in our misfortunes. It's true that we're poor, but we can still offer a guest a cup of tea. Excuse me while I go make it. It was on the tip of Nancy's tongue to protest, but she checked the words just in time. She knew that Allie and Grace were proud, and that to refuse their hospitality would hurt their feelings. I wish I could help them, Nancy thought, but if I offer to pay for the tea, they will be offended. Perhaps later on, I can engage Grace to make a dress for me. In a few minutes, Grace returned to the living room bearing a tray, which had been covered with a clean white napkin. She poured the tea and served the cake with as much poise as though she were gracing an elegant drawing room. I never tasted more delicious cake in all my life, Nancy said warmly. The three girls chattered over the teacups and watched the rain beat against the windows. Presently, as Nancy noticed an unusual picture on the wall, she commented on its beauty. Uncle Josiah gave it to us, Allie told her. If he were only alive now, things would be different. At the mention of the name... Nancy started. Could it be that Allie referred to Josiah Crowley? It was very unlikely, she decided. Yet only the week before, her father had told her that there were two girls living on the river road who should have figured in the will. The relationship would be worth investigating, Nancy told herself. Then your uncle is dead? she inquired sympathetically. Josiah Crowley wasn't really our uncle, Grace replied but we loved him as much as though he were a relative. Her voice broke, and for a moment she could not go on. He lived next door to us. That was when our mother and father were alive. All of our misfortunes seemed to come at once. He was the dearest man you ever saw, Allie added, taking up the story. Some people thought him queer, but you never minded his peculiar ways after you knew him. He was so good and kind to us. We were neighbors for years, until the Tophams induced him to live with them. After that, everything changed. But he never liked it with the Tophams, Grace declared. They weren't kind to him, and he used to sneak off to visit us, didn't he, Allie? Yes, he often said that we seemed like his own children. He brought us so many nice gifts. We loved him for himself and not his money, but after our parents died, he hinted that he intended to see to it that we never came to want. I remember the very last day we ever saw him alive. He told us that he intended to mention us in the will. I have planned a big surprise for you girls. You'll see it in my will. Those were his very words. And then... 
The Toppums got everything, Grace said somewhat bitterly. It isn't that we were expecting any of the money, but it does seem unfair that the entire fortune should go to them. They never cared a snap of their fingers for Uncle Josiah, and I don't believe he intended to leave his money to them. Perhaps you were mentioned in the will they say can't be found, Nancy suggested. Grace and Allie exchanged significant glances and gravely nodded. That's just what we think, Allie announced. Can't something be done about it? It seems only fair that you should have your inheritance. I am afraid there is nothing we can do, Grace said doubtfully. You see, although we are certain a will was made in our favor, we have no actual proof. We haven't enough money to fight the case. The Toppums ought to do something for you girls. The Toppums? Alice laughed scornfully. They wouldn't give us a cent. For some time, Allie and Grace Horner talked of Josiah Crowley and his queer ways. To Nancy, it was evident that the girls had loved the old man a great deal. Presently, as the rain ceased, and the sun threatened to break through the clouds, Nancy arose to leave. Your story has interested me a great deal, she assured the Horner girls. It's possible my father can do something to help you. He is a lawyer, you know. Oh, we weren't asking for help, Grace interposed quickly. I don't know why we happened to tell you so much. I'm glad that you did. And if I can, I want to help you. If my father asks you to come to his office in River Heights, will you do it? Why, yes, I suppose so, Grace admitted slowly. But we have told you about everything we know concerning the will. My father is a wonder at unearthing hidden facts, Nancy declared. It's kind of you to tell your father about our case, Allie broke in. We'd be so grateful if something could be done. We don't want a cent that doesn't belong to us but it does seem as though we should have received a small inheritance. Don't build up your hopes until after I've talked with my father, Nancy advised them as she turned toward the door. If anything can be done, I promise I'll let you know. Chapter 5 A Conference Although the rain was no longer falling, the river road was a sea of mud and before Nancy Drew started for home, the Horner girls insisted on helping her put her chains on the rear wheels of the roadster. You'll never make it to the gravel unless you do, Grace advised her. The river road is terribly slippery in wet weather. You're sure you want to attempt it? We'd love to have you stay with us until tomorrow. Oh, I'll only have two miles to go before I strike gravel, Nancy returned. I'll make it all right. But before I go, I do wish you would let me pay for all the trouble I've caused you. We couldn't think of accepting money, Grace said quietly. It's been fun having you here, Allie added. At last, after thanking the Horner sisters for their hospitality, Nancy told them goodbye. Allie and Grace watched her until she had backed the roadster from the barn and was safely on the road. You're taking a big chance in this mud called out Allie after her. If you have any trouble, come back here, added Grace. That is, if you can get back. Don't skid into a tree. Or into a ditch, that would be worse. 
What are you trying to do? Make me nervous? demanded Nancy, but with a smile on her face. No, we only want to see you get home safely, answered Grace. And by that time, the car was so far on its way, no more could be said. Once on her way, Nancy had little trouble, for she was a skillful driver. The mud was heavy, but although the roadster slipped about, she managed to keep it in the road. Nevertheless, she was relieved when at last she reached the main graveled highway. I'll stop at Father's office, she decided as she drove into River Heights. I want to tell him about my adventure right away. She parked the car and surveyed it rather ruefully as she climbed out. <laughs> Poor thing needs a bath. But even if I did get into mud, it was worth it. Otherwise, I would never have found out about the Horner girls. As Nancy was admitted to her father's private office, he arose from his chair to greet her. I'm glad you're here safe and sound, he declared in relief. I've been worried ever since that storm came up. I telephoned the house, and Hannah said you weren't back. It gave me a bad scare. I had a little adventure, Nancy announced with an important air. Quickly she told of her meeting with the Horner sisters, and what she had learned concerning the Crowley will. Allie and Grace Horner are as poor as church mice, but they're proud, too, Nancy ended. If only we could do something to help them. They deserve a portion of the Crowley estate, but they'll never get it unless someone takes a hand. From what you say, it looks as though Crowley really did make a will in their favor, Carson Drew commented thoughtfully. I never had any particular liking for Richard Topham, and I'll admit, it would please me to see him lose the money. I'll be happy to do anything I can to help the Horner girls, Nancy. We might invite them to the house for a little conference. I was hoping you'd say that. You say the girls have no idea what became of the will? They never saw it. Well, it's possible that by talking with them, we may learn something which may serve as a clue. I'll invite them to the house tomorrow if you want me to, Nancy said quickly. You're so clever at asking questions, and the Horner girls will do anything in their power to help. Mr. Drew studied his desk calendar for a moment. All right, but make it day after tomorrow afternoon at three. I have no appointment for that hour. Now that she had accomplished her purpose, Nancy gave her father a hug and fairly danced toward the door. I knew you'd tried to help them, she called back over her shoulder. Now that you've promised, I'll scamper off and let you get your work done. Nancy's interest in the Crowley case had intensified since her chance meeting with the Horner girls, and it was with impatience that she awaited the conference. All the day of the appointment, she kept watching the clock, wondering if Allie and Grace would keep the engagement. She had sent them the invitation, and they had promised to come. But Nancy was a trifle uneasy, especially as the hour of three approached, and the two girls had not arrived. I don't see why they don't come, she fretted. The words were scarcely out of her mouth when the doorbell jangled. That must be the girls now, she cried as she hurried to open the door. It was indeed Allie and Grace Horner. Nancy greeted them enthusiastically, 
and ushering them into the comfortable study, introduced her father. At first, the Horner sisters were rather ill at ease, but after a few minutes they relaxed and began to talk frankly. Do tell me about Josiah Crowley, Carson Drew suggested. I understand that he was rather a peculiar man. Oh, he was, Allie began impulsively. I have seen him go about hunting for his spectacles when they were on his nose all the time. Did he ever hide things? Mr. Drew inquired. Did he? Allie laughed. He was always putting things away in what he called a safe place. The place was usually so safe that he could never find it again. Did he ever say anything which would lead you to believe that he had hidden a will? Allie shook her head. Not that I can remember. Why, he did, too, Grace broke in. One day, while he was at our house, he got to talking about the Tophams and the way they were trying to get his money. I guess they'll be fooled, all right, when they find out I've made another will, he said, with that odd little chuckle of his. This time I'm not going to trust it to any lawyer. I'll put it away in a place that I know will be safe. <gasps> That's right, Allie agreed. I had forgotten. Was Crowley living with the Tophams at the time he told you this? Carson Drew asked quickly. Grace nodded. Do you think it's possible that he hid the will somewhere in the house? You mean, at the Tophams? Grace inquired. Of course, I have no way of knowing, but it's my opinion that he did. Nancy and her father exchanged quick glances as the same thought occurred to them. Perhaps the Tophams had discovered the will and already had destroyed it. Carson Drew asked a few more questions. The Horner girls were eager to help, but they were unable to furnish additional information which had a direct bearing on the missing will. After Nancy had served tea, they thanked Carson Drew for his interest in them, and arose to depart. If I find that I am able to help you in any way, I will do so, Mr. Drew told the sisters as he escorted them to the door. And, of course, there will be no charge for my services. However, unless the will is found... There is really very little that can be done. After Allie and Grace had left, Nancy turned inquiring eyes upon her father. Charming girls, he commented, and undoubtedly deserving. Then you'll help them? Nancy demanded eagerly. I am afraid there's nothing I can do, Nancy. Mr. Drew returned regretfully. The will is probably lost forever. It wouldn't surprise me if it had been destroyed. You mean... The Tophams? Carson Drew nodded. The same thought came to me, Nancy declared. It would be just like them to destroy it if it fell into their hands. They have no scruples whatsoever. Of course we have no proof the Tophams did away with the will, Nancy. It would be very unwise to suggest such a thing to the Horner girls. They deserve a portion of the estate. But without the will, nothing can be done. If they took the matter to court, they wouldn't have a chance to win. I suppose you're right, Nancy admitted unwillingly. But while she dropped the subject for the time being, Nancy Drew did not forget the Horner sisters. She continued to hope that by some queer twist of fate, they would come into their rightful inheritance. 
If the will has been destroyed, I don't see how anyone can help them, she told herself rather unhappily. But until I'm sure of it, I'm not going to give up. She squared her shoulders with determination. I'll find some way to discover what became of the will. Chapter 6 An Unpleasant Encounter In spite of Nancy Drew's firm decision to assist the Horner girls, the days slipped by, and try as she would, she could think of no way to discover whether or not the missing Crowley will had fallen into the hands of the Tophams. Although she seldom discussed the case with her father, he knew that she was troubled. "'You're worrying about the Horner girls,' he observed one day. "'I'm afraid you are taking their misfortunes too seriously. There is nothing you can do without the will, and you had best forget about it. Why, you've scarcely been out of the house since the Horner girls were here. Go shopping, or anything.' to take your mind from the subject. I have been thinking about Allie and Grace, Nancy admitted with a rueful smile. I was so sure I could do something for them. Give your mind a rest, and perhaps you'll have an inspiration, Mr. Drew encouraged her kindly. All right, I'll take your advice and go shopping, though I really haven't a thing to buy. The fresh air will do me good, I suppose. After luncheon... Nancy left the house and made her way toward the business section of River Heights. The walk was a long one, but she took it at a brisk pace. Nancy naturally was athletic, and as she swung along, more than one passerby turned to look after her in admiration. After window shopping for a time, she wandered into a department store, more from curiosity than because she had anything to buy. She moved about aimlessly gazing at whatever struck her fancy. Suddenly, Nancy's attention centered upon two girls who were hurrying down the aisle ahead of her. She stopped short and stared. Though their backs were turned, she had recognized them. Ada and Isabel Topham. I'm sure I don't want to tag them around. I'll just slip down another aisle. But Nancy Drew never carried the thought into action for at that very moment she saw Ada brush carelessly against a counter of expensive vases. As her sleeve caught, a large fragile bull was swept to the floor. In horror, Nancy heard the crash and saw the bull break into a dozen pieces. As Ada looked down upon the wreckage, a slight flush mounted to her cheeks. Then, with a toss of her head, she started to move on. "'Miss, I am afraid I must ask you to pay for the bull,' a saleswoman interposed politely. Ada wheeled angrily and stared at the saleswoman insolently. "'I'll not pay for it,' she snapped. "'I didn't break it.' "'But, miss, I saw you knock it off the counter,' the saleswoman protested. By this time, the floor manager had arrived upon the scene, and a number of shoppers had gathered about Ada and the salesgirl. Nancy likewise drew closer. This impudent girl claims I broke a vase, Ada stormed, addressing the floor manager. I wasn't even near the counter at the time. However, I did see her knock it to the floor herself. Isn't that so, Isabel? Solemnly, Isabel agreed to the untruth. 
The floor manager looked doubtfully from the Topham sisters to the saleswoman. He realized that it would be a serious error to accuse well-to-do customers falsely, and for that reason, he was inclined to give the Topham girls the benefit of the doubt. He stooped over and examined the fragments of the bowl. Someone must pay for the damage, he said severely. This is an expensive imported bowl. Then let your clerk pay for it out of her salary, Ada retorted. If she hadn't been so stupid, she wouldn't have broken the vase. The saleswoman was too bewildered to take her own part, and Nancy saw that the floor manager was in a dilemma. As she sensed that he was about to exonerate Ada from all blame, she stepped forward. You must be mistaken, Miss Topham, she said quietly. I am certain the saleswoman did not break the bull, for I saw the accident myself. What business have you to interfere? Ada demanded harshly, wheeling upon Nancy. Perhaps it isn't my business, but I can't permit you to accuse this girl of something she didn't do. You saw the accident, miss? the floor manager questioned. Yes. As Miss Topham walked by the counter, her sleeve caught on the vase. It isn't true, Ada snapped. But I'm tired of this silly argument. How much do you want for your vase? The floor manager studied a price list. Fifty dollars. What? Ada fairly screamed. You want fifty dollars for that old bull? I'll never pay it. The vase was imported from Italy, miss, and I'm afraid you must pay the price asked. Do you know who I am? Ada inquired loftily. I think everyone in the city knows about the Richard Toppums, the floor manager returned wearily. My father owns... He doesn't own this store, the man interrupted with growling impatience. If you refuse to pay for the vase, I shall be forced to turn you over to the authorities. You wouldn't dare, Ada gasped. Never in all my life have I been insulted like this. Isabel, who was slightly more reasonable than her sister, now held a whispered conference with Ada. All right, I'll pay for the bull, Ada decided as she took out her checkbook. But let me warn you, the matter won't be dropped here. She turned upon Nancy Drew and eyed her coldly. I'm not through with you either, young lady. You'll pay for this outrage. Nancy made no reply, but continued to smile pleasantly, an act which further enraged the Topham sisters. Hastily settling for the damage Ada had done, they sailed grandly out of the store. Gratefully, the saleswoman thanked Nancy. You don't know how I appreciated the way you took my part. I couldn't have paid for the bowl, and if you hadn't said what you did, the floor manager probably would have discharged me. I saw her break the bowl, and I was determined to see justice done. There is my name and address if you need it. And Nancy handed the woman her card. I'm afraid you've made enemies by taking my part. Nancy shrugged her shoulders indifferently. It doesn't really matter. The Topham girls were never my friends. But they may try to get even with you. They're very spiteful. Let them try, Nancy smiled. However... I don't believe there's any need to worry. Their talk is mostly bluff. Lightly, Nancy Drew dismissed the subject, 
and as she found she was being regarded with curiosity and admiration by those who had witnessed the scene, she left the store. She walked slowly toward the park. It makes my blood fairly boil every time I think of Ada and Isabel Topham getting all of the Crowley fortune, she told herself with feeling, especially when Grace and Allie Horner need the money so badly. The way Ada tried to accuse that shop girl was disgusting. Nancy crossed the public park and paused for a moment at the drinking fountain. As she glanced up, she saw that unwittingly, she had selected the path Isabel and Ada Topham had taken. Upon leaving the department store, they too had gone to the park and were now seated upon a bench engaged in earnest conversation. Their heads were close together, and from the expression on their faces, Nancy suspected that they were discussing her. Unless she retraced her steps, it would be necessary to pass directly in front of them. If they see me, they are certain to say something mean, Nancy thought. And if they do, I'll be sure to lose my temper. I know, she decided impulsively. I'll take the path through the bushes and avoid them. I can pass behind that bench, and they'll never notice me. Ada and Isabel were so engrossed in their conversation that they failed to notice Nancy's approach. Chuckling to herself, Nancy left the sidewalk and quietly made her way down the path, which was shaded with overhanging bushes. She had no intention of attempting to overhear what the Topham sisters were saying, but as she noiselessly approached the bench where they were sitting, two words reached her ears, causing her to pause involuntarily. Ada was speaking, and the phrase which Nancy had accidentally overheard was, The Will. In a flash, her suspicions were aroused. She comprehended the significance of the phrase. It must be Josiah Crowley's will they're talking about, she reasoned. Perhaps they know something about the missing will. They may reveal what became of it. With the instinct of a detective, Nancy Drew crept cautiously closer. The bushes were thick, and by crouching low behind the bench, she was able to hear without being seen. Oh, if only she might learn something which would prove that the Tophams had deprived the Horner girls of their inheritance. Chapter 7 Nancy Turns Sleuth While Nancy Drew eagerly waited, scarcely daring to breathe naturally, lest her presence be detected, Ada began to speak. Well, if there should happen to be another will, we may be dumped, she said sourly. I don't believe Josiah Crowley ever made such a will, Isabel replied, in so low a tone that Nancy scarcely caught the words. Evidently Nancy Drew does, or she wouldn't be taking such an interest in those Horner girls, Ada returned. I know she had them at her house last week, because I was passing and saw them go in. How I hate that girl! If she should get her father interested, he might dig up another will. Even if another will does turn up, we can trust Dad to take care of it, Isabel commented dryly. You mean he would... Never mind what I mean, Isabel insinuated darkly. 
Mother and Dad wouldn't be simple enough to let that money get away from us. It's ours by right, anyhow. Didn't Josiah Crowley live on us? Yes, we ought to have all of the money, after enduring him for nearly three years. Just the same. I don't like the way Nancy Drew has taken up with the Horner girls. She always did have a way of nosing into things she had no business to find out. Oh, poo for her, Isabel scoffed. Let her try to discover anything she likes. The money was given to us fairly enough. The conversation ended abruptly, as Isabel and Ada arose from the bench and walked on down the street. Nancy waited until they were out of sight, and then emerged from the bushes. There may be a chance to find that missing will after all, she reasoned, as she sank down on the bench vacated by Isabel and Ada. Nancy had always been convinced that Josiah Crowley had made a second will. However, since her talk with the Horner girls, she had shared her father's opinion that the document had fallen into the hands of the Tophams, only to be destroyed. This conviction had discouraged her. Now the information which she had gleaned from the snatch of overheard conversation gave her new hope. From what Isabel and Ada had said, she was led to believe that if Josiah Crowley had made a second will, the Tophams were as ignorant as herself concerning its whereabouts. Anyway, it's encouraging to know the will hasn't been destroyed, Nancy told herself. But there's one thing certain. If the Tophams ever get their hands on it, they'll take care it never comes to light. From what Isabel and Ada said, I judge they're beginning to realize their position is anything but secure. If I'm ever to find that will, I must get busy before they beat me to it. Nancy Drew possessed her father's liking for a mystery, and she delighted in a battle of wits when championing a worthy cause. Carson Drew had often remarked that he enjoyed the detective work of his cases better than the court work, but Nancy knew he was too busy with his own cases to devote much attention to the missing Crowley will. If anything were done to help the Horner girls win their inheritance, she must accomplish it herself. As Nancy reviewed the facts of the case, it seemed to her that she must have overlooked a possible clue. Never had a mystery appeared more baffling. For nearly ten minutes, Nancy sat lost in deep thought. Then, with a cry of delight, she sprang to her feet. How stupid of me not to think of it before. The Horner girls aren't the only ones who should have figured in the will. There were a number of relatives, and Father said they had filed a claim too. I wonder who they are. If I could talk with them, it's possible I might learn something that would have a bearing on the case. Convinced that the inspiration was a happy one, she set off toward her father's office. He was engaged in an important conference when she arrived, and Nancy was forced to wait ten minutes before she was admitted to the inner office. Now what? her father asked, smiling as she burst in upon him. Is it a new dress you want? Nancy's cheeks were flushed, and her eyes danced with excitement. Don't try to tease me, she protested. I've stumbled onto something important, and I want information. At your service, Nancy, 
Mr. Drew said. But if it's about that Crowley case, I've told you everything I know. Nancy poured out the story of her encounter with the Topham sisters in the department store and told of the conversation she had overheard in the public park. Mr. Drew listened with interest until she had finished. And now, what is it you want? he asked gravely. I thought, if I went to those other relatives, I might be able to learn something which may help solve the mystery. A good idea, Nancy. But I don't know their names, and that's why I came to you. I wish I could help you, but I'm afraid I can't, Mr. Drew said regretfully. Nancy's face fell. Wait a minute, he called as she turned to leave. I can't supply the names you want, but I think I can tell you where to find them. Where? At the courthouse. They should be on file. He glanced at his watch and frowned. But I'm afraid it's too late to go there this afternoon. Oh, and I'm anxious to find out right away, Nancy declared in disappointment. If I delay even a single day, the Tophams may get ahead of me and find the will. Suddenly her face brightened as she thought of something. I know. I'll jump into the roadster and run out and have a talk with the Horner girls. They should be able to furnish me the information. You can try them at least. That's just what I'll do, Nancy decided, as she turned again toward the door. Just a minute, Carson Drew stopped her. I wonder if you realize just what you're getting into, Nancy. Why, what do you mean? Only this. Detective work isn't always the safest occupation in which to engage. I happen to know that Richard Topham is an unpleasant man when crossed. If you actually succeed in learning anything which may help the Horner girls, you are certain to have the Tophams in your wool. I'm not afraid of them, father. Good, Mr. Drew exclaimed. I was hoping you would say that. I'm glad you have the courage of your convictions. But I didn't want you to march off into battle without a knowledge of what undoubtedly you'll be up against. Battle? Yes, battle. Rest assured, the Tophams won't give up the fortune without a bitter struggle. However, if they attempt to make serious trouble, I promise to deal with them myself. I only wish I had the time to help you find the will. And if I find it, I'll take the matter into court. Oh, thank you. There's no one like you in all the world. Nancy moved toward the door. I may not get back until rather late she threw back over her shoulder. I have a feeling I may discover a real clue today, and if I do, I'm going to trail it down. With characteristic impetuosity, she darted from the room, permitting the office door to bang behind her. This is your host, Catherine Lopez Luker. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Stories Come to Life. Be sure to join us next time when we continue to listen to The Secret of the Old Clock. You can find a link to our podcast on the Marshall Public Library webpage, www.marshallpl.org. I'll talk to you again soon.